0: I'm Barbara C. I'm a compulsive overeater. I'm grateful and I'm recovering. <laughs> Hi. This is pretty exciting up here. <laughs> the twelve traditions. Number one, our common welfare should come first. Personal recovery depends upon OA unity. Two, for our group purpose there is but one ultimate authority, a loving God, as He may express Himself in our group conscious. Our leaders are but trusted servants, they do not govern. ever reminding us to place principles before personalities. Permission to use the 12 steps, the 12 traditions of Alcoholics Anonymous for adaption granted by AA World Services
1: Incorporated. Thank you, Barbara. As you already know, our theme is Joyful Journey, Stepping into Freedom. And this has certainly been a joyful journey for me But it has also been really difficult in many ways. Um, When I was asked by a certain board member to do this two years ago, I thought she was crazy. She told me that she kept getting my name when she talked to her HP about who would be the chair for 2016. Uh, And see, that's the important thing that sets us apart from other all-volunteer organizations is this is a spiritual program. So I told her, I'll talk to my HP about this. <clears throat> I was hoping I would get a different answer. <laughs> I mean, really, the first convention I attended was 2014, um, up north in, in Burlingame here. Uh, that was the very first convention for OA I attended. I didn't even know what a convention was before that. Uh, when I talked to my sponsor about doing this service, she said no. Uh, And really what it came down to is I didn't believe that I had the ability to do this or the recovery to do it. Um, You know, some of my chief character defects have to do with insecurity and self-doubt and all that kind of stuff. So the whole idea freaked me out. And all right. So what I did is I finally talked to God about it. And he said yes. Uh, So what I have found is that frequently he does have different plans for us than I would have ever had the guts to dream up. Over the course of my seven years in the OA program, pretty much the backbone that I have found that helps me is cultivating willingness. Where I'm not willing, I have learned to ask for the willingness. Sometimes I ask for the willingness to be willing. I step back from it however many times I need to, and there I get help. And God, the committee, my sponsor, and my husband have been with me through every single challenge and difficulty that came along on this journey. And the awesome news is that I have changed as a result. God has certainly done for me what I could not have done for myself alone. At the beginning of our planning, my sponsor and our vice chair set the compass coordinates for us. This is God's convention. That was our true north. Every difficulty that came presented a new opportunity for my recovery, if we choose to frame it that way. When I was bothered by somebody's control issues, I got to look at my control issues. (laughs) When I felt someone wasn't doing things the right way, I got to look at my fears and my perfectionism. And when I didn't believe we could really pull this off, I got to look at my issues with not enough. And so it went on and on. Um, We are told that service is a tool. I didn't really used to believe that. I thought it was, okay, you're going to list that with the rest of the tools, but um, it's a way to try to get people to do service. (laughs) But I was wrong. I was absolutely wrong. And I can honestly say that in hindsight, it has been worth every single step. I have become a more serene and balanced person by God's grace for it. I highly recommend that if you hear God calling you to do service take him up on it because you're in for your own joyful journey I believe many of those in our convention committee can also attest to that fact so I want to thank the board for their faith in me an untested relative newcomer to OA, the members of the convention committee for being willing to do this service and walk along with me on this joyful journey My sponsor, for your unfailing support of me, both personally and on the committee, through all these months of planning, for my husband, who has been an invaluable sounding board and behind-the-scenes support, you all have helped me keep my head screwed on straight. Let's all have a great time together as we journey through this exciting weekend of recovery that we have planned for you. For those of you attending an OA convention for the first time, we hope that you will find what you came here for and that this will be the first of many conventions you will attend. This Region 2 convention, this is a Region 2 convention, so I'll acknowledge those of you who are attending from the various states in the region. If you are here from Hawaii, please stand. Thank you, glad you were here. Is there anyone here from Northern Nevada? Yay. Welcome. Okay, who's here from California? Woo, yay. Happy to see you. How about Mexico? Yay. Great to have you here. Are there any visitors from outside Region 2? Kansas! Kansas. Wow. Wow! <laughs> any, anybody else? Awesome. Thank you. As a reminder to members of the media, who are, may be present, that always 11th tradition states, our public relations policy is based on attraction rather than promotion. We need always maintain personal anonymity at the level of press, radio, films, television, and other public media of communication. This means that the fellowship itself is not anonymous, but its members are. Please avoid identifying OA members in your articles and interviews. We ask that you use only our first names or pseudonyms for OA members and that you obscure our faces of those who identify themselves as OA members in on-camera interviews. If you would like to talk to anyone, please arrange it with our Public Information Chair, Lynn Kaye. Lynn Kaye is right here. Great. Thank you, Lynn. Okay, thank you. Now, I would like to welcome Catherine, our program chair, up to the podium.
2: everyone. It's so good to see you all. My name is Catherine. I'm a compulsive overeater and grateful to be here. Hi, and I need my glasses. The big book of Alcoholics Anonymous states that we have a design for living that really works. Part of that design and our primary purpose is to abstain from compulsive overeating, each person being the sole judge of his or her abstinence. It is said that the newcomer is the lifeblood of the program. We'd like to acknowledge the courage that it takes to walk into an OA meeting as a newcomer. Are any of you attending your very first meeting today? Wow. What about last week? Did anyone attend their first meeting last week? In the last month? If you or anyone that considers themselves a newcomer would like to stand, we'd like to acknowledge you. All of you, yes, yes, stand, 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 We welcome you. Here to say that there is a solution to the disease of compulsive overeating. So join us on this joyful journey and step into freedom. Welcome, welcome home. Let's all stand now and remain standing as we welcome our newcomers to the beginning of a joyful journey. So everyone, stand. Let's give our newcomers a hand. Everyone, please remain standing. As a newcomer, it's very important to hear keep coming back no matter what. And it's even more inspiring to actually see people do that. We're now going to find out the member with the longest time in Overeaters Anonymous who is here tonight. So have you, if you have kept coming back and abstaining no matter what for one year or less, please sit down. If you have kept coming back and abstaining for five years or less, please sit down. And I should be Okay, so I'm up, but not really up. If you have kept coming back and abstaining for 10 years or less, please sit down. Lots of people still standing. If you have kept coming back or abstaining from, for 15 years or less, please sit down. If you have kept coming back or abstaining for 20 years or less, please sit down. We, we still have plenty of people standing. If you have kept coming back and abstaining for 25 years or less, please sit down. If you have kept coming back and abstaining, no matter what, less than 30 years, please sit down. Okay, we still have a handful here. If you have kept coming back and abstaining, no matter what, for 35 years or less, please sit down. Oh, my gosh. We have one, two, three, four, five, six, seven people that have been standing, that have been abstaining and kept coming back for 35 years at least. So let's, in 36 years, anyone 36 years or less sit down? 37? You kept coming back and abstaining for 37? 38? 38? Yeah. Thirty-nine. Wow. Wow. And people are still standing. Forty. Forty years. Oh, wow. Forty-one. Wow. Forty-two. <laughs> wow. Forty-three. Forty four. <laughs> <laughs> All right. I think we have one person left. How many years? Uh it'll be fifty years on August second. Wow. <laughs> and what <is> your name? <laughs> Su- Sorry. Susan. Susan. That's not fair if you count in utero of your mother. <laughs> So, uh, thank you, Susan. (laughs) So this is the recovery that's available in Overeaters Anonymous one day at a time. Let's give ourselves a hand as we keep coming back. And now I'd like to call Hannah back to the stage. She has something for us.
3: Hello again. I'm still Hannah, compulsive eater. And uh, I've talked a lot about service, and but I want to tell you a quick little story. What happened to me today? A lot of you had to go through TSA, right? And I packed in a hurry last night, and uh, it beeped when my stuff went through. And so of course, it took me apart my suitcase and put it back together again. The guy said, "Do you have anything that might hurt me?" And I said, "No," because I had no idea. And he found a little knife, and so we started talking. And he said, "Where are you going?" I said, I'm going to a conference. It's for people with eating disorders called Overeaters Anonymous. And he looked at me, and he said, do you work for them? I said, yes, I'm a volunteer. And he said, uh, uh, why do we go there? And I said, well, I came to this program when I weighed about 200 pounds. And he looked up and down and up and down. And I'm hoping I'll see him someday in this meeting. But it's amazing where and how we can carry the message, you know. And as um, was read, the program is not anonymous. We are anonymous. He didn't know who I was, my name, or anything, but maybe I planted you know, a seed. Anyway, the reason why I wanted to come up here, and you remember Arnold, he always said, I'll be back, I'm back. And I talked a lot about service, and I was wondering if you have been in program for three years um, abstaining. Would you stand up, please? No, three years. Just three, three years, okay, and then have you been abstaining for two years or more? Everybody up, everybody, a whole lot of people, okay, two years or more, all right, I probably said it wrong, but that's okay, you'll get the gist when I keep talking, and you have been in program abstaining for two years or more. And you know that if you have been to one World Service as a delegate to a World Service business conference, if you've been to one assembly, you know you qualify to run for a position on the board. (laughs) Hey, keep standing, keep standing. And there is one guy here, and I just ran into him, Michael, and he for some reason, decided one time he was going to be my best friend when I was at a convention. He said, would you run for this? And I tried to run away from him, and he was my best friend. He kept sitting next to me and next to me. And finally, I got so tired of him bugging me, I said, hell, yes. And ever since then, you know, I didn't see him anymore. But it was the best. I mean, okay, I saw him at conventions, but it was the best thing I've done in my life. And service has kept me coming back. And all of you who are still standing, you qualify, so please think about it. You know, service is the most wonderful thing, because I'm human, and if I don't go anywhere for any length of time, and sometimes, you know, I've left the country for a couple of times, you know, when especially early in program, and I didn't really feel like coming back, but when I had a position, I had to go, the responsibility, and so please think about it, because the board has two positions in October, please attend if you're willing to give service, and if you want to know more about it, there's our Chair Nancy. And also Sherry, she has a description for the position that Nancy announced, Administrator, which is a, an appointed position, but the other positions are elected. And that's the best thing you can do for yourself. It's the best thing I ever did. And I'll leave and I won't come back.
1: Thank you. <laughs> and now Nancy, our Speaker Coordinator, will introduce the speakers.
4: <laughs>
1: can't
4: see you. Hi. hi everyone I'm Nancy and I am a compulsive overeater hi. hi, I'm so thrilled to be standing up here and looking at your beautiful faces filling up this room um, I want to say and I have to write it down um, so I have been honored to speak to so many of you I've been honored to speak to over 500 people As I have talked to people who have uh, put their names forward, possibly being a speaker or a moderator or a timer, that's where my position came in. I'm the one that, you know, so I wanted to fill these workshops and marathons with all you wonderful people. So I want to tell you that we have over 100 speakers that are going to be speaking throughout the weekend. So, And I've been honored to talk to so many of you. Many of you have had, uh, you know, intimate things that are happening in your life, so you couldn't come, and so I've heard about deaths that are happening. I would love to be there, but, you know, such and such is happening. So it really opened my heart to finding out about so many of you uh, throughout this, this period of time that I've been speaking to uh, so many of you, that, and then and, and so many have... Uh, have decided, yes, they can speak. So for this weekend and for tonight, I'm honored to to, uh, introduce our first speaker, and uh, I saw her many years ago in Oakland at that fantastic Oakland 12-step marathon, and uh, so I'm honored to introduce Carlin from Sacramento. (laughs)
5: Fun, yeah! I'll make that go like that. Well, that's a fun noise. <laughs> <laughs> Woo! Hi. hi, my name is Carlin, and I am a compulsive overeater. Hi. I did not ever want to say that in front of this many people, <laughs> um, but I'm, you know, I'm kind of comfortable with it now. Um, so let's see. Uh, I wanted to start by saying that I um, am very grateful to be here. It is an honor to share at a meeting of Overdue Anonymous. You guys saved my life, and I really mean that. I remember when I was new and I would hear that, and I'd do the eye roll, which has been perfected by my daughter this summer to the greatest <laughs> degree. You can hear the tendons in her <laughs> eye. <laughs> yeah, whatever. Um, That's true. That's a fun noise too. (laughs) Sorry. I have ADD. This is going to be awesome. Uh, (laughs) Don't get up. I'll look at you. Whoa. A chicken. (laughs) Um, Okay. So um, it's an honor and I will share tonight my experience, strength and hope. In Overeaters Anonymous, my experience only, I do not speak for OA as a whole. So take what you like and leave the rest. Um, I want to thank Nancy for inviting me to share. You did a wonderful job. Thank you very much. <laughs> and the amazing committee that has put this on, I and many people in this room that I know and love have been a member of an R2 convention committee. It's awesome. And they did a great job. You never get mad at anybody when you're on that committee ever. It's like you're just spiritual all the time. Um, at least I was. Um, and I want to thank Katie, who does the volunteer things. Where's Katie? Is she' there? Whatever. She's out finding volunteers. Yay! She's back there, yay, Katie, yay, yay, hi, pretty in pink, (laughs) Um, because I was really happy to be able to be a greeter this afternoon, um, which helped me not to be nervous, and and helped me meet people and get hugs, because that's super awesome, to have hugs um, from another person who understands how sometimes how incredibly uncomfortable it is to be loved, when there is so much shame and so much pain associated with why we're joined here together and to be able to accept hugs and give hugs is one of the great gifts that Overeaters Anonymous has given me and not to have any connection after that like what's your phone number you know honestly uh that's how I used to be it the 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 only currency that I came here with was that if if there was kind of any kind of physical contact we were going to I don't know I was going to move in. That's how that was going to work. Um, excuse me. And I don't, I don't, I don't have to live like that anymore. I can hug people that I love and love is a beautiful thing and it doesn't have to do with anything else but love. Um, and I was, it, was, it was super fun to be, um, to be the greeter because I, now I'm qualified to be a greeter because I have recovery and overdose anonymous because I know the three most important words of anybody who is, gre- who is doing an information-type job. Do you know what they are? I don't know. Give that girl a gold star. That's exactly right. I don't know. And, um, and, and, uh, but I do know where the bathroom is, so if you, we talk afterwards if we need to know about that. Um, and also, which is, oh, I just thought this was a sign from higher power. There's this guy that came in. Um, he looked really harried and really frenzied, and he was so happy to see me. Um, and I was like, hi, hi, yeah, well, hi. He looked like he was having a really bad day. And then I noticed, second thing I noticed, this is a miracle. He's, hold- he's from Mountain Mike's. Anybody know what they make in Mountain Mike's? <laughs> So he's holding a couple of those, you know, round things that they cut into to the 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 shape, you know, wedge. Thank you. I was trying not to use the p word. Um, yeah, which you know, which is t- totally ridiculous because it's a single serving, as far as I'm concerned. Um, and so. He walked up, and he had two of those. And, and he, said, uh, he said, are you, whatever the name is, Jennifer? And I didn't say, yes, I am Jennifer. Thank you so much for bringing my things. <laughs> I felt like this is a huge victory. Jennifer got her things, and I am here, and I'm abstaining. It's awesome. <laughs> the power of the program <laughs> um, and of service. They used to say service is slimming. We used to say that. Um, I think I think service is saving. Um, it's a place where I can save my ego, I can set aside my fears, and I can save my life. So I'm grateful to be of service. Um, let's see. That, that's it. No. Uh, <laughs> so my, my um, abst. I came to Overdose Anonymous on a Wednesday night in Southern California at a meeting that didn't know where it was. Um, <laughs> And uh, seriously, it's so, I'm so glad I'm here because you people are disorganized. Um, <laughs> really. Uh, so um, it was November 9th, 1988, and I have not had to compulsively overeat one day at a time from that day to this day. Right back to you, because you showed me how to do that. You showed me that there was something that would, as someone said earlier, that would allow me to be free from the merciless obsession that I had lived with my whole life. That there was a way to live differently than having to turn to food and behaviors that harmed my body because of how I felt and how much I hated myself and how much I hated the world because it didn't conform to what I needed it to be in order for me to be okay. And th- that is a miracle. It's an absolute miracle that, that the definition of overdose anonymous, has, of abstinence in overdose anonymous, has been something that has been true in my life from Wednesday, November 9th, 1988, to this minute right now. And that is that I have been able to participate with you in the action of refraining from compulsive eating and compulsive food behaviors while working towards or maintaining a healthy body weight. That's amazing. I didn't, you didn't tell me I had to be perfect. You didn't tell me I had to be good. You didn't tell me that I had to be smart. I am so smart, so I'm glad that one, I, I've got that one. You said that I would be able to learn how to participate with you in the action of refraining. So let's see, we might talk about that more later. So anyway, I came to this meeting that didn't know where it was. I, uh, I had a counselor thank God that I finally told what I ate. What, what, what it looked like. And she had seen me go up and down and up and down and up and down. And thank God somebody in Overeaters Anonymous had gotten a hold of this woman somehow and told her that Overeaters Anonymous existed in 1988. That, to me now, that's got to be somebody like you. That's somebody on the R2 board. That somebody that's doing a public service, a public um, information job in some intergroup down there that got to this counselor that this place existed. Because I had known a woman who who, who recovered from heroin addiction um, in, in Alcoholics Anonymous. And I remember talking to her and, and crying over, over a lunch which consisted of white things that generally come at the end of a dinner. And that was my lunch. That was my choice that day. Um, and and I, and she and she said to me, "That's what you're going to eat for lunch." And I'm like, "Shut up!" <laughs> uh, <laughs> yes. Um, and um, and, she, and and she and she said, "That okay, I'm worried about you, Carlin. That's not how people eat." And um, and. And and I said, well, you're lucky. You have this thing, where, this place where you can go, where people do what you do, and you learned how to get better. I wish there was something like that for me. And there is something like that for me. Um, and so, so this counselor said there's a, there's a meeting. There's meetings all over Southern California. And so I called this number, and somebody was, at the, somebody was there on that line. Somebody picked up the phone and told me where to go in Pasadena on a Wednesday night. And this is a part of Pasadena I, had, I didn't even know existed because there were no fast food restaurants on the other side of the freeway. I mean, it was like, I don't know, why would you go there? That's totally, people live there? Why? Um, and so I crossed into this horrible netherland that, you know, I was totally afraid to go. And, I, and it was supposed to be at a church. And, I, and it was in the basement of a church. So I was, I, was at, I was actually, I must have been a little bit early, which is weird <laughs> um, for me at that time and I went to this church and I pulled in the parking lot and, this, and I went down the stairs and there was this guy in the, uh, cleaning the carpet and he and I did not share a common language so we weren't communicating very well about where the heck is the OA meeting and this woman comes bounding down the stairs like she's adorable and she's happy and she says hey are you going to the OA meeting and I was like yes because <laughs> I hated her um <sighs> I was such a gem. Um, I hated her. Do you know why? She was thinner than me. So I hated her. And she was happy. So she bounced down the stairs, and I said, Well, it's not here. And she said, Oh, that's okay. I know where it is. It's up the street. Come on, it'll be fun. (laughs) (laughs) Ah, I hated her. And I, you know, and I am such a people pleaser that I'm like, yes, it will be fun. You have no idea how much fun this is going to be. And so I followed her little car, and we drove to a bank. And she pulled into the, I know a bank, right? That's where the meeting is. Um, And uh, and she pulled in, and I pulled in, and she got out of the car, and she waved at me, and she walked up the stair, walked into the bank, and I never saw her again. (laughs) And I've been here ever since. I don't know who she is. I don't know if she is. But thank God, my higher power does not need me to have a good motive to show up for an Overeaters Anonymous meeting because I didn't have one. I was there to prove the pretty girl wrong. So I walked into this meeting. Well, I walked into this hallway, and you guys am not kidding you. There was a gigantic pig outside this meeting that big (laughs) a gigantic pig because it was a bank it was a piggy bank (laughs) and i'm thinking are you kidding me these people are either so awesome that they have the best sense of humor on the planet because they like take this giant metal pig everywhere they go to their meetings or this is, uh, you know, I don't know. This is a Fellini movie. This is weird. <laughs> so I walked past the pig into the meeting, which had started, and there was a woman standing there, and she, was, and she said my name. Of course, she didn't say my name, but what I heard is, Carlin, you do not have to compulsively overeat one day at a time if you don't want to. I heard it. And that was an impossible thing to say. That's an impossible promise to make. And you know what? It's absolutely true. In my experience, I do not have to compulsively overeat one day at a time if I don't want to. And I don't have to compulsively overeat one day at a time today, even if I do want to. Because sometimes I have wanted to. Sometimes I have been in so much pain that I didn't care. I didn't, I didn't care about abstinence. I didn't care about you. I didn't care about me. I, I, I couldn't. Hold on to what you had given me. And in that moment of pain, a sponsee would call. Or I would have to go take the literature to that stupid meeting. (laughs) Miracle. I mean, how does that happen? So, so... Of course, at that first meeting, I, a couple of things happened. I heard that there was hope. I heard that I didn't have to compulsively overeat the next day, that there was something I could do. The other thing that I heard was that there were people who would stand up in front of the room and tell you how to do it right. And I'm like, I want to do that. I really... <laughs> I thought that would be funny. I, My first meeting, I wanted to chair the meeting. Am I the only person who thinks that? <laughs> so... You Know, uh, so doing this is like a little bit like, oh, come on, Carlin, <laughs> Reign in that ego. Um, it's it, and and I and, and it's better, it's certainly better than it used to be. Um, and I, one of the reasons is that I pray. My sponsor taught me to pray before every time I share at a meeting to pray for my ego to be removed, um, and for me to tell the truth. And so that's what we'll do, that's what we'll continue to do. So, uh, so I, I started to go to over just anonymous meetings. I loved them. I loved them from the very beginning. I didn't really want to be a compulsive overeater, but I was so excited that there were people who were talking about the kind of things that I did, that were talking about eating out of garbage cans, that were talking about eating burned food. Um, you know, just scrape it. It's not that bad. Just some more scraping and we'll get to where we need to go. Um, there were people who talked about stealing food from, from the people that they worked with. And, I, you know, there was a, a job where I literally, I didn't know this woman's name. I called her the wrong name. Her name was Karen and I called her Carol for about six years because <laughs> the only reason I even talked to her was because she had those little things with the two Ms on them in a dish on her on her counter. I, I You know, Oh, your dog, yeah, that's interesting. Mm-hmm. Fascinating. Yeah, right. Why don't you go in the bathroom, Carol? It's Karen. Um, so, I, so so I kept going over to these anonymous meetings, and finally, I you know, uh, finally, I found a sponsor. The reason that I found my sponsor was because she was talking about her dog, and she said that her dog was a, was a compulsive overeater. <laughs> I want to laugh really hard, but I make that noise. Ha ha ha, ha so um the dog is a compulsive overeater and I thought just don't feed it as much. Um hard of a problem to solve. But she made me laugh so hard and, and one of the things that she gave me at the very beginning of my recovery is that she helped me, she and I agreed that she was gonna be, we, we were both gonna be in charge of whether or not I was abstinent. It was gonna be a committee decision. Because I did that thing at the beginning, which I don't know if anybody else has done, which is that I was so focused on the food. I was so focused on the size of my butt. I was so focused on the numbers that I was willing to give up. Spiritual recovery, I was willing to give up my chair and over to Anonymous because I could not stop thinking about what the numbers looked like and and and, and so so I ate a thing God, like a little dumb thing in between meals and my food plan at the time, which of course I said was my abstinence, my food plan at the time was three meals a day with nothing in between, and I ate something in between, and, she, and I called her and I said, oh my God, um, I'm, I, I'm not abstinent anymore, and she said, she was awesome, she said, yeah, you know what, I'm cooking a turkey, call me back. <laughs> <laughs> so I had 15 more minutes of, of, of abstinence, because I'm waiting for her to finish her damn turkey, she was brilliant. So, so I, I call her back, and she says, I said, I'm not absent anymore. And she says, Carlin, what, who are you talking to? And I said, well, I'm talking to you. And she said, what, okay, remind me again, who, who am I? And I said, you're my sponsor. And she said, exactly. You're talking to your sponsor. And then she said, what did you do today? And I said, well, I went to a meeting. And she, and she said, what are you doing right now? I said, well, I'm getting the literature ready for the meeting tomorrow. She goes, yeah, say it again. Carlin, say it again. Well, I'm getting the literature ready for the meeting tomorrow, and she said, "Well, then why don't we just wait and talk to the meeting tomorrow and see whether or not you're abstinent?" This is a revolutionary con- concept for a dieter and a perfectionist. Okay, when I before I came to you guys, I I found a diet in a newspaper that I stole from somebody else, that the point of the diet, I was a gem. I was a gem of a person um, before Overs Anonymous. The, 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 the choice of the diet was to pick a color of food and just eat that color. I chose white. <laughs> That's who I am. That's who I am, okay? When I was a resident advisor in college and my residents played a prank on me, and this is the only food that I will mention because you'll never eat it again after this. Um, the, 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 my residents took the Oreo cookies, and they took the one side off, and they stuck the white side all over, all over my Ford car. <laughs> Completely covered. Now, I'm a compulsive overeater. That car had never been washed. <laughs> never. I lived in Southern California. It doesn't rain anyway. It's not like you need to wash your car. So, And, and I, was, I had a job interview that day. It was awesome. So I walk out to the Oreo cookie mobile, and I scrape... Scrape the windows off so that I could roll the window down, and I scraped the front windshield so that I could see out the front. And people were literally pulling off on the 110 freeway, like, "Wow, there it goes!" <laughs> and I'm driving 110 miles an hour because I'm late, of course. And and <laughs> I got to the the place where I was getting my interview, and the little guard guy at the guard gate said, um, "Oh, oh, what's your name?" And um and <laughs> He's looking at the the car. Oh my god! And he said, "I said park over there, like way far away from everybody else's cars." (laughs) And 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 I and I got I parked my car, and I'm thinking, well, I have to be careful to get out because I'm going to get more cookies. There were no more cookies. I had eaten the entire door off on the way to the (laughs) on the way to the interview. That's who I am. The car had never been washed. It was it was toxic. that's who I am. That's how I respond to life. Scared, eat. Angry, eat. Tired, eat. Thirsty, eat. Happy, eat a lot. <laughs> I was in a meeting with, some, with, uh, with one of the gals that I sponsored, and she's saying, if, if you're mad at me, it doesn't count. If I ran, it doesn't count. If, I'm, if, I, if you hurt my feelings, it doesn't count. If I'm grieving, it doesn't count. If I'm afraid, it doesn't count. It doesn't count. It doesn't count. And 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 so when you know, when I would sit on the edge of my bed with the hostage of the moment and they would say how did you gain all this weight? And I would cry, and I would say, "I don't know. I'm trying so hard. I was. I really was. I was always on a diet. I was always, always working out. I was all. I always had a plan, and it never worked. It never ever worked. And sometimes a diet. A diet. I don't know about you guys, but for me, a diet is a is a promise to gain weight. That's all that is. I'm signing a contract that I am going to gain weight. So I, I lose, I lose for a little bit because I'm a biological creature, and I lose for a little bit, and then I gain it all back, and then, as we say, I got a, I get a rebate, I get a refund, and, 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 so, and I, I just, I didn't know how to do this, and I didn't know how to do this so much, that I wanted to die, not because anything terrible had happened to me around compulsive overeating, in the sense that. Uh, it hadn't caused someone in my life to pass away or an illness or, or something horrible to happen to the society. The, what, what I want, the reason that I wanted to die was because I didn't like the way my butt looked. That's why I wanted to die i didn 't want to die because i couldn 't be of value in the in this in the society i couldn 't be of value in the society because I literally could not stop looking at the size of my rear end. I could not stop thinking about what I was eating or not eating or when I was going to eat next or what i wasn 't going to eat and I wanted to die. I had a plan you know those those uh, cone things on the freeway the the yellow the big yellow things well there was a a turn that I would take on my way home onto the Pasadena Freeway, and every day that I would go towards that, I would just say, I'm not going to turn, I'm not going to turn, I'm not going to turn, I'm not going to turn. I wanted to hit those and die because I couldn't figure out how to be okay with who I was no matter what I looked like. I wasn't, I wasn't okay. I couldn't be me. I could not be who I was, and I could not be of service, grateful, grateful, of value to anybody else, just because of how I looked, and I don't know why I didn't turn, probably because I was hungry, (laughs) right, I know that's kind of sad, that's, so here's the other thing about compulsive overeating, thank God for, thank God for food, Because it saved my life long enough to get here so that I could be with you people, so that you could help me understand that the problem that I'm suffering from really doesn't have anything to do with what I eat or what that number is. That's not my value. That the problem that I have is that I have a spiritual illness. That I cannot live in the world. And if the world is not totally fair, and I am at the front of the parade. I can't live in the world. I don't know how. It's like my sponsor says, uh, two plus two equals four, and I can't stand it. <laughs> like other people, like, two plus two equals five. Whatever. Who cares? Two plus two equals four. Ah! I can't stand it. I can't live in the skin of mine without, trying, without having to alter it with food. And the gift that you gave me and the gift that Overdose Anonymous has given me slowly, 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 slowly is that I have begun to find out who I am and to know that I am absolutely okay just the way I am. And so are you. So are you. And the way that I did that is this beautiful idea that is on the front of this program, stepping into freedom. It began with f- freedom from the obsession. It began with freedom from the only thing I can think about, that, that habit trail, that, that wheel that would go around in my mind. I'm not good enough because I eat too much. I have to eat too much because I'm not good enough because I have to eat too much which I'm, I'm eating too much and I'm not good. Wow, over and oh that's that circular thing. And you guys found a way to throw a stop into that, into that circular thinking so that I could be free from the obsession, so that I could participate with you in the action of refraining from compulsive overeating and I will finish with this. The steps are the way that I went from Freedom from obsession to treating the illness of compulsive overeating. To beginning to treat that spiritual illness. So starting to be honest. I don't steal things from people anymore from their desk. If I talk to you, I'm actually interested in your dog. (laughs) I am. (laughs) And I don't hurt myself to the best of my ability with food or anything else. One day at a time to the best of my ability. And if I find out that I am, I can talk to my sponsor about it. But the action of refraining is the other things that we do in this program. And just like the action of getting up here to talk to you is one action. I'm going to talk with you tonight. I had to get up from a chair, and I had to walk over here, and I had to get up some steps, and I had to open my book, which I don't have time to read. And, um, and all of those actions together make the action of talking with you. And so the action of refraining from compulsive overeating for me is made up of a series of actions that you have taught me to do. I go to meetings. I read the literature. I have a sponsor. I am a sponsor. I work the steps. I I practice anonymity, which means I don't tell you what my fabulous job is so that you'll ask me to sponsor you or talk at your meeting or see see how great I am. I just say, yeah, I'm going to work like you. And and, and, and And I practice service so that I can do with you what you have taught me to do. And I was in a meeting last Saturday where I heard somebody talk about the fabric. Barbara talked about the fabric of of unity. That by myself, I am one thin thread which can be broken and which can become unconnected from you very easily. But together, we are a fabric of recovery. It says in our... First tradition. If we are to continue to live and recover, we must have the continued support of OA groups and the inspiration of our fellow members. Find a way to stay here. We love you, and you are beautiful just the way you are. Thank you.
4: Thank you so much, Carlin. We're so glad you're, you're, you're part of our fellowship. Uh, so I am uh, thrilled, to also to uh, yes, uh, to uh, introduce our second speaker. I've known this second a speaker since my uh, I've been in here 19 years, and I've known. The speaker, since the very first couple of weeks of my program, and so thrilled that he can uh, be a part of, of our convention tonight. So, I'd like to welcome Dominic from San Francisco.
6: Is that all right? Does that work? <laughs> okay. My name is Dominic, a Reader. I'm glad to be here and I'm really glad to be absent today. And thanks a lot for asking me, Nancy, and thanks to everybody for organizing this convention. I know it's a lot of work, it's <laughs> a great job. So um, I'm, uh, I'm just a Capullover Reader. <laughs> it's very, very simple. I, I talk funny because I'm originally from Ireland and uh, I got. Uh, <laughs> And I grew up there. I grew up in alcoholic home, and I somehow I don't know when it was. Sometime I'll just tell you my story. <laughs> Sometime I was um, I was fat. You know what I mean? I, I went. To, it went to be an identified problem, <laughs> and people helped me with the identification. And, uh, <laughs> <laughs> and, the thing, <laughs> and they uh, and you know it went. It ranged. I mean, I grew up in a rural like it was rural. And I go. So I was lucky in that in school and stuff. There wasn't a lot of bullying. There wasn't a lot of that. But you know, particularly my family. You know, and sometimes it was helpful. Sometimes it was like exasperated. Sometimes it was. But there was just like you're fat. You're over. You know what I mean? It's a problem. And the thing I got was it's your problem. And you're the you're the cause of it. And you're the it's your responsibility a hundred percent. And you know, it's an you. I, I could talk more about that. But I mean there's a blame, you know, the things that happened weren't good there, but at the same time, it's an alcoholic environment, and that's a broken system, so it's it's not easy to point fingers at everybody, but at the same time, the impact is real on me, and then I was like eight, nine, ten, you know, those years, I was really overweight, and it was, and then, you know, I got to understand very early, which I think kids today sometimes have a problem with is compound interest, you know, like more plus more equals a lot, <laughs> you know, <laughs> the thing is, over the years, you know, and I was a resourceful kid, you know, quite quite resourceful. I went to. I remember I was like ten, eleven years old, and I remember I saw that lady. Um, there was a there was a diet called the Beverly Hills Diet, and maybe still. Sorry, and it. I saw the lady on TV in Ireland, and I, I mean, I live in the country, you know, the west of Ireland, like, and I go, and one of the foods was pineapple. I procure pineapple, which wasn't easy, you know, and I, I like. So I was resourceful and that was a story of, like, for a lot of years, you know, dieting. And when I say dieting, I mean thinking about dieting, you know. (laughs) And the thing is, because if I really think the amount of time that I was actually dieting, and for me, you know, I've got to admit dieting works in the sense of the promise is real. You eat less, I weigh less. You know what I mean? I didn't have any of the glandular disorders or anything like I I you know but I couldn't and what would always happen is I would eat go on a diet be on the diet for some amount of time get that nice high get like the compliments like the thing like the support and I was still and um, but then eventually there'd be a day I wouldn't be on the diet you know I just wouldn't be on anymore and the next thing and the day was, I was always thinking about when I was going to go back on whatever the diet du jour was. And the thing was, I remember um, it was always in the future. Like it's always not now. You know, like it could be tomorrow, Monday, <laughs> the summer solstice, the winter, well, you know, <laughs> sometime that's not stopping me from putting what I want to put in my mouth right this moment, you know. And that's the, the can, where's the time is? Um, okay. It's okay. <laughs> Thanks. And um, I got, so I was, that was my story. And then, like, the thing I think I focused on, or, or have been focusing on a lot on recently, like when I'm thinking of programming and stuff, is shame. Like, all I felt was shame. I hid those pineapples in a drawer in my bedroom. <laughs> you know, I didn't even want to tell people I was on a diet. And, you know, even by my, probably my third diet, I kind of knew I was as F, you know, pardon, pardon my French. I knew this wasn't going to last. And that was the part of the shame. And all I felt was shame and shame and more shame piled on shame. And so that went on, and look, like I said, I was lucky that I it was a like, you know relatively isolated community, so I, I didn't have a lot of bullying or problems, and you know I had good friends at school and stuff. And you know I have a story that I won't talk much about. You know, with I drank a lot as a kid, you know, like as a teenager, and I did a you know, and I went to college and everything, and I drank a lot. But I was a compulsive overeater, and there was one time that I actually died. What? In high school, or the equivalent of high school, I started, I would spend the summers in New Jersey, and I had summer jobs and stuff like that, and um, I would, like, not eat, and I'd be really good on a diet, and I'd work in, like, manual labor, like landscaping or something, and I'd really lose a bunch of weight. And, of course, then I'd come back and gain it back, and one time I didn't do that. And the other thing I focus on the dieting is it, had, it gave me that illusion of control, and it's funny because, like I said, I grew up in that alcoholic home, and I saw oftentimes that... You know, the alcoholic in, in my family. My dad. He he had stayed sober for like six months or a year a couple of times, and it was like it killed him. I literally, he died of alcoholism, and it killed him because that illusion will keep you coming back, thinking that you have some kind of control. And that illusion of the dieting kept me dieting. Plus, I didn't have any other didn't have anybody else to do because you know you talk to people who don't have this disease, and you know it's a matter of time before. Like the why can't you just, <laughs> it starts, you know, why can't you just, and you're like, yeah, I'd love to, you know, and, I, uh, and I've tried all kinds, I went to the pain way, you know, you pay them, they weigh you, <laughs> and, <laughs> and, they, and I remember the lady, and I'd been to a few of them, one guy wrapped me in like osmosis wraps, and they had, uh, I remember I, this lady, and she was a super nice person, was like, imagine yourself in a button down shirt, and I was like, F you and your shirts, Like, just give me that crap. Because I knew that day I could start a diet. It was a day I knew I could start a diet. I didn't know how long it was going to last. I didn't know how much weight I was going. I could lose 10 pounds, no pounds, 50 pounds, 100. I've died off a 100 pounds, you know, once. And uh, But, of course, it came back with a vengeance, with a vengeance every single time. And then I moved over here. Like, I moved over to Southern California, and I lived. Um, and for a few years there, I... Drinking and and then I started to use drug I started to use drugs and I have a short story with drugs but it was kind of intense <laughs> and uh, not that I'd advise this but some of those drugs are really good because you don't feel like the desire to eat and it was like a freedom of course they have their own terrible consequences <laughs> you know so I wouldn't advise that but that's what I that was just my story that's what I did and uh, I ended up <laughs> having an agreement with the, the uh, Orange County, that I should go to, twelve <laughs> step program, <laughs> and <laughs> that's how I look at it now. At least it didn't feel like that then, but it was an agreement. And I went to this Orange County, and I remember I went to an A meeting, and there was a hardcore um, heroin addict sharing at the meeting, and he at the heart, at the, he was he like told his story in excruciating detail. This guy he was great. I remember his name was Kenny and he was a great guy. And he told it, and you know I t- I, l- I listened to his story and I I needed to be at that meeting for for other reasons but I said if this guy was talking about food I would have been there every single beat. And this was a diehard, his whole life dedicated to heroin, chasing it the whole lot and I go if this g- I would have been with him because my whole life like was Walking around, eating something, thinking that I'm not, how I don't want to eat this and what I'm not going to eat, and then how bad I felt and how much shame and how isolated I felt as a result of it. I remember I used to walk in, I used to walk to college, it was a few miles, and, like, I didn't go and get big bags of food, but there'd be 15 corner stores on the way, you know what I mean? And every single one, it would be something. And it would be, a, and you know, and the real honest, earnest promise: I'm never ever going to do this again. Tomorrow is going to be the day. It's going to be different, and like that's the thing: is people, you know, when you show up, like my my top weight when I got here, I was 333 pounds. <laughs> I like that, I like to say that because I used to go to meetings when I was really new, and I'd be like, "How fat were you?" <laughs> you because <know? laughs> I didn't see people who were 333 pounds, and I was like. You give me some hope here and i was 330 pounds and the next number i know is that because the next number was e so i'd stand on the scale it would go e and then it would go 333 e <laughs> and uh then i got i had been 352 pounds that's the the heaviest i weighed myself at, at and that was my top weight i think and that was a few months before that but and then um and of course, I dieted off the 352 pounds, the, the, the 52 pounds or 51 pounds. And then the next thing, the next number was 333. <laughs> you know what I mean? And that's when I showed up here. But so my eating was so what happened was I started getting, um, I got sent, went, got sent to 12 uh, step meetings by Orange County. And then I went to that meeting and I went to one, I figured out that there was an OA you know, at some point. And I did go to, like, that one meeting in, I think, 1996. I went to one meeting. It was in uh, Tustin, California. And it was, like, a, probably a Wednesday or Thursday, like, in the middle of the week meeting. There was five people there. I think four of us had come from some fast food joint, <laughs> And the thing is, but, and there was nothing wrong. With, with, the thing with the meeting is I, I wasn't in a place to, to be at the meeting in order to listen. But I was, I did hear at that meeting where the next meeting was. You know what I mean? And, I, and I, I tried a lot of different things, but I could never forget that on Saturday mornings at Hoff's Hut opposite John Wayne's Airport, there was a men's meeting, <laughs> the breakfast meeting, and it was just, like, ingrained in my head. And I um – so then the, and the other thing is eventually I showed up at that meeting probably around six months later, and I, w- I hadn't been abstinent, and I, or I didn't even know about abstinence. I didn't know anything about a comfortable but I started going to that, Wednesday, that Saturday morning meeting, and the reason I started going was I was probably at that point 350 pounds was I, I couldn't stop eating. You know what I mean? I had stopped using any drugs or alcohol, and I was sober probably for a year, and I just couldn't stop compo- I couldn't stop grocery compo- overeating. And I went to that meeting because I felt uncomfortable in my skin and ashamed everywhere I went. I would work and a thing. And so what I, would, I went to that meeting, and like, like I was angry, I didn't like the people there. And it was a great meeting, like all different types of people, all different places in their recovery. So there was, And I was right in the middle. I just went in and I sat down and I had a seat in the middle. There was nothing. And the thing that kept me coming back to that meeting every week was it was the first place I felt at ease in my own skin. You know, because I was in the middle and everybody there, and they all had the same story, I just came and sat down. And I remember I used to wear a cap and put it over my head because I was angry, nobody cared. I came and I was like... Whatever, and I ate before, during, and after the meeting. It was a breakfast meeting, so I was, I would like, and it wasn't, and that wasn't like because I was devious. I just that's the way I was. I just couldn't stop compulsive overeating, you know. And it, it was always the last. This is the last time. It's going to change in the future. And um, the thing that happened in that meeting was that helped me was. I started to become very aware of putting, because, you know, I'd hear what they were doing with, with the food and abstinence and stuff like that, so I started to try to do it, and I started to become aware of every bite that I was putting in, which is even though I was aware and ashamed of my eating, I still wasn't aware of my, and ashamed, of, I didn't know about all my eating till I started, and, you know, my I, typical day for me was, like, get up in the morning, go to a 7-Eleven, eat some stuff and crinkly paper, it was eight miles to work, maybe hit another one on the way there, I might not actually make it there, get to work, eat some, like, little mini mini cakes <laughs> or whatever they had, and then eat lunch, and everybody would get annoyed at lunch because I'd make them go somewhere that has salad bar and like eat a salad bar at lunch, then like eat the candy machine in the afternoon. And like I said, I was um, uh, I was going to 12th of meetings, like, and I was, the, I was, the, I was the, the tea and coffee and cookie person for an A meeting of 70 people in, in Huntington <laughs> Beach. I was the cake person for a, <laughs> for a meeting, and I used to do this thing with the cookies where I would I do this thing with the cookies where I put them all out and I'd be like, okay, they were all good, and I'd have one, and I'd have one, and of course, like seventy people is a lot, so there, there's a lot of and the next thing I would like go over the edge because I do a little bit of rearranging to make it look like <laughs> there's an appropriate amount, but then then one day. I would just go over the edge, and I'd be like, oh, crap, the meeting's in 20 minutes, and I'd have to drive like, down, buy more cookies, and, you know. And it was just like, it was endless. So I, around that time, I moved up here to um, San Francisco. And I'd been up here literally days, you know, what I mean? in 1997. I'd been up here n- not long. And the guy at the corner store probably knew. He kind of started to expect that at 7, 7.30, you know, after work, this guy was going to sh- show up and start buy, go walk around, buy some stuff and he might come back a second time he might come back a third time and each time it wasn't, you know, it was just a lot of eating. So then what happened is but I called somebody on the phone and there was somebody who was on there who didn't, he hadn't eaten between meals for six years at the time and I couldn't fathom that concept because I, I try you know, I tried to you know, I tried really earnestly to do it and I just was at a place that I could not eat stop eating and I couldn't, definitely couldn't eat between, not eat between meals you know, for, and just have three meals a day. And he, so he had done that for six years. So I made sure to find him and I went to a meeting and I got him and he got to be my sponsor. And um, thing with that was then very quickly, you know, I just realized it does. Like, I just done another move. You know, that's a long way from that rural Ireland, right? So I just knew, it. and I realized, like, there's no moving away from this disease. Like, like I don't care. I, can, I just moved to San Francisco. I was already established in a pattern, and it was going to be the same. So I was like, okay. So I just knew if I went to Timbuktu, they, I'd eat whatever they eat there. You know, and too much of it. So I started to. I really like surrendered, and I didn't go shopping. You know, like. I mean, I have opinions about, like, food plans. I have opinions about that. But at that point, I didn't have an opinion about anything. I was like, here's somebody who didn't eat between meals for six years. What do you do? And I, did, I was afraid what his food plan is because I was afraid I couldn't do it. But I just did whatever he suggested I did. And he worked his book. He's program out of the big book of Alcoholics Anonymous and the 12-step. And it was, so I, didn't, I wasn't shopping for, uh, like, gluten-free, you know, high, low carb. You know, I, didn't, I was like, what do you do? And I'm not saying that any of that is wrong, but I, you know, I surrendered. That was it. I was at the last house. I knew that if I didn't get this, I was never going to stop compulsive eating. And those numbers I mentioned, they're just random numbers in a stream of ever-increasing numbers since I was a kid. You know, they got bigger and bigger. And also the shame was just, the shame was just building with it and isolation. And, you know, and I can be isolated in a crowd. It's not like... I, was, I, I could isolate my house, but I'm also just removed from all the people I interact with in, in my life. So then I started to work the program. And the uh, thing with the program was I dove into it because I was terrified, especially once I got a few days of abstinence. Once I got a few days where I didn't have to eat, I was afraid of the vengeance that it would come back with a vengeance. So I got really, really busy. I went to all kinds of meetings, I, of course I went to every OA meeting, but then I would go to like any other 12-step meeting that was going on because I could, knew I could not eat between 12-step meetings. And I mean, I, 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 I know exactly, I could tell you the exact order of meetings, but I mean it involved three and four meetings on Saturday and three meetings on Sunday. And you know, and two meetings a lot of evenings, you know, lunchtime meetings, they used to have lunchtime meetings in San Francisco then, I used to go to those. And the thing was, and then I started to work the, pro, to work the program. Step one for me was – that was a real – the first part of it was easy in the sense of what to write down. I knew about the powerlessness. I had known that probably since I was 12 or after about the third diet. But the thing was – sharing that with another person was a tremendous, a powerful experience because I didn't, it was like the first time I shared and talked about food, because, you know, over my life, I talked to people and tried to get help, and, but I had, uh, it was the first time I shared with somebody, and they just, I just had the feeling that an an acknowledgement, they understood. They weren't surprised. They didn't think it was weird. They just go like, yeah, that's what we do, you know, and uh, for me, like step two, I never re- – I didn't have a problem, but it was very easy. My, my sponsor said to me, he said, you need to have a higher power, and it needs to be a loving higher power. And that was kind of the end of the pa- – I don't think we've ever had a much more depth- in-depth conversation about higher power since then. I pray a lot, and I work my program, but that was it. But, you know, I mean, they in the book, they know that it's going to be a problem for other people. So there's a book – there's a chapter we Agnostics, they expect that. I was just – that's it was for me. Turning my will over – at this point, around the food, I was turning the food over, and I was doing a lot of action. So I was trying, willing. I was very willing. Um, step four, you know, and I'd done step four in that year. I'd been in the other in another 12-step program. But I, I remember, like, when I was sharing my my fourth step, I remember being at a fast food joint on the way there, you know, just to take the edge off. And, uh, so it's a lot, it's a lot, it's a lot raw when you're uh, just, there's, you know, like, it there's no meal or nothing. You just said that. And I remember I was uh, writing the fourth step. And the, the first part's easy, you know, because it's all about the stuff that's going on right now. A little Timmy at work has said this, and I'm really mad at him, and blah, blah, blah. And then, like, I remember I had that sheet of paper, and I wrote down the word dad. And I was like, hmm, that's interesting. And I just closed the book and just <laughs> walked away. And I didn't go back to it. And it wasn't. I was willing, and I thought I was willing, but I didn't go back to it. And, you know, and Eventually what happened was I'd been slowly starting to lose some weight. The weight stopped moving. It was just like the same thing every two weeks. Like I weigh myself probably every month, once a month or every two weeks, no more than that. And it was just the same number. And, of course, I was kind of disappointed because I'm hyperly focused on weight. Not that that, I mean, that for me, is, that's the focus for me when I, when I got here. And then so I, um, I eventually went back and wrote that the fourth step, and then eventually I did a fifth step. And I had experience, like, when I shared that with my fifth step with my sponsor, that I I just had that feeling, like they mentioned it in a big book, al thought about that something was different. And I remember walking across the street from his house, and I just felt like something is different. It was the first inkling of something. I don't know what it was. I, I, couldn't, artic- I couldn't really explain it, but I just felt a little bit different. And then I, I went on six and seven when I was that early. I don't know character defects. I mean, I was... You know, I was, it was it was intense. So I was just like happy not to be eating, <laughs> and I was like I didn't really have a handle on the defects or whatever. But then what I did was, eight and nine I knew because I'm a people pleaser. You know, not very good at it. You can get, there's witnesses. But the thing is, uh, I would, li- but I like, I want you to like me. And the thing is, I'm a people pleaser, and I want you to do what I want you to, You know what I mean? So the thought of going to people and telling them that I did other things wasn't good. But, you know, I was willing, and I was getting enough recovery, and the freedom from the food kept me moving. And one thing my sponsor told me earlier on was like, Never worry about a step in the future because you're not there yet, and you're a different person after each one. And that was my experience. So I was writing my writing my eight step down. I was writing, and it was it was terrible. Like you should do it really fast because I took a long time. And I'd be like, at that time I smoked, and I'd I'd be sitting outside having a cigarette, and I'd remember another person I needed to put on the eight step list. I was like, (laughs) you know, so I was if I'd done it faster, it would have been easier, I think. But eventually I did it all, and I did all the ninth steps. And you know, some were some were kind of. Once you do one, kind of, you only need to worry about the next amends, you know, making the next amends. And I just did one amends at a time. And, like, when I did it, and I remember I went on a trip to Ireland, and I had a rental car, and I was driving around all these places, and I was like Dr. Bob in the big book where I was like, hey, you know, I did this, and I stole this, and I broke this, or whatever. And, you know, and, like, honestly, they're just some showing up some random person that's, like, looking, they're kind of, like, bewildered. They're the easy ones. The harder, the harder amends are kind of those deep relationships with your siblings and family and stuff. They're, they were the harder amends to do than actually those, or deep friendships that you damaged. Like, they were, they were harder. But, you know, one at a time, I walked through them and did all that, and I did through 10-11. So the thing with, for it was all of this was, you know, I, 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 the background of all of this was a very, very heavy involvement in Overage Anonymous. Lots of meetings, lots of service, lots of fellowship, lot of, lots of phone calls, lots of con- you know, lots of feelings, and uh, and they were like, but all of it, I couldn't have done it if I wasn't dead center in the middle of the program. You know, it was just too overwhelming for me. And you know, and then really quickly, I found out it was a nice haven. It was like I, I govern my day around my three meals, and I just moved out from a kind of a center of obligations. Of, you know, I had a job, all of that, and then of course when you. When, you, when the food kind of moves back and I, some of the weight, the weight came off, and some of that, then you there's like I heard somebody say it once. Like, it's not, they, there's only other two other problems then: that's finance and romance. <laughs> After and and uh, you know I've I've been lucky. You know I had I had uh, I have a good a job. I always had a, a job and stuff. So I, finance wasn't a huge problem, but there were, there was stuff to clean up and do, and there was work to do with that, but that wasn't that hard. But romance was. That was un, It was weird. Like I got to be like a more normal way, like a normal. And I have read I have blood in my veins, you know. So that gives you kind of desires and wishes. But I was, I did. I was like a monk. I mean, I did not. Have, <laughs> I did not have relationships. I didn't initiate relationships. I didn't ask people out. I didn't. And you know, for a long time, it didn't feel like any feeling. You know, I didn't have any feeling about that. But nothing was happening. But then, eventually, like I wanted and I, and I, and then, what really became clear is I was terrified because that shame and that the chance of rejection and the lot i mean it 's very complicated you don 't have time for all the therapy session, but like <laughs> at the same thing, the reason I mention it is that was my experience that was a huge problem for me, like I could not ask somebody out, and then like I said, you know when I when I did, like, it just felt it was just so escalated to such a huge degree that I and um, and eventually I did I did date some people and eventually I ended up in a relationship and you know I was hanging on for dear life you know and they were like please for the love of let me go <laughs> you know what I mean this thing is not working. <laughs> But, you know, I'm a good manipulator, and I'm a good people pleaser, and I was like, I, I almost wouldn't let them go because I was terrified what that meant for me. I was terrified. And, I, I mean, I can't emphasize how deep that feeling was because, and the reason here is I couldn't have dealt with that except in the, in, in Anonymous and the support and the people. And that's a, that's my story and my experience. And, of course, eventually, you know, like all these problems, thanks, the, all these problems, they they always start with, like, wh- me holding on, not saying anything, <laughs> not saying a word. And then I say the shortest prayer, and I was just like, please, God, help me with this. That's the shortest prayer ever. <laughs> and then sometime later, I find myself sharing it with somebody else and then sharing it with, like, someone else. And then it becomes, it becomes open. And then, then somehow, once that process begins, I kind of move through. And that's, like, the, my spiritual action. And, and oftentimes, when I talk about spiritual action, it's very mundane. Writing 10 Steps. Calling people, talking to them, going to meeting, telling the truth—it's not, you know. Uh, there's no for me, and it's not it's not a, like I don't need. To, there's no rocks and spirit rocks. Or there's no, there's nothing. It's just very mundane. But but it's more about sp- taking those spiritual actions one step at a time and being willing to turn it over. And and just like the food, when I had the the grace when I got here in 1997, I got I had the. I had the willingness to turn it over and surrender control of the food, and be willing to do it. My absence was three meals a day, nothing in between, no sugar. Plan the last bite before you take the first. <laughs> it's a good caveat. And uh, then I I did that, and I, um, you know, it just opened up, you know. And I, uh, I I got out of that relationship, and I was still terrified, and it still wasn't over. And I, but I, I started to do more work and more work and eventually i remember i i eventually i put my uh my profile on one of those online, dating, those online dating sites, you know, with the selfie, like, you know, like this. And then I thought maybe I'd do better, and I asked actually my sponsor, and his wife came over, and they took po- better po- photos, and I put those on. But, you know, like, that was a big thing because it took a lot of courage for me, you know, even though I say it my, myself, it took a lot of courage to bring somebody else into that thing because I was ashamed. Like, that's all I had was shame. I felt it was, you know, from that kid who was compulsive overeating and I was fat because it was my fault and I was doing something wrong I, that, was, that now had a reality in, independent of my body size and um, so bringing other people in was just such a freedom and then the thing, a miracle happened I went a lot of dates you know, and the, and the thing is and it was great because really quickly what happened in those dating was somehow through the grace of my higher power you got to realize these are just other people like me who want to be in relationships. <laughs> and they're not, like, there was no, the, all the power was taken out of it. And the other thing was, and then the curious thing was, you know, some work, can, you know, you, you connect with some people and you don't connect with other people, which was unbelievable because, I, I, you know, I just had such a broken concept of it. So, the thing was it was great. I mean, you kind of know the signs like if, if it 's like what kind of music you like is on comes up on the first date you 're probably it 's tough <laughs> but everybody was super nice. It was such an experience and I, and then eventually I met my my, my currently my wife uh, on the in that and it was you know it was really obvious the good thing about going on all the dates is when it when it works you're kind of it 's obvious that it 's working and I talk about that because. When I, when I went to that meeting, you know, when I was 330 pounds, the thought of, uh, like, I could intellectualize all of this stuff, having a career, owning a, you know, all of these things, but I couldn't do it. I was powerless. My life is unmanageable. I felt terrible about myself all the time, you know what I mean, unless I was using something else to not make myself feel terrible. But the thing is, I was, um, it just, and it, that all came, you know, and they talk about the freedom, like, that's a prison, you know, that's a prison in your mind that I lived in. And I, I think my sponsor put it, it's like, you're in, the, you're in the stands watching life happen in front of you, and you're just a spectator. And, of course, now, over the course of those years, I got in the stand, I got out of the stands and into the, <laughs> into the game, and it hurts sometimes. But, and there was a lot of pain that I couldn't, but, you know, one day at a time, I showed up in this program, I don't eat, I, I worked the steps, I do the next step, and I do all of that and uh, it was just somehow i 'm in a different place you know and there 's always the problem du jour there 's always something new, but you know i have the I have the faith today and the and the trust that whatever it is, I just set it in front of me, I take the steps I, I start to talk about it, I start to pray about it it 's usually the action isn 't that complicated, or what the next step is going to be you know just do what you need to do okay, thanks very much and then I would um, and then, at some point, you're at the other side of the problem, and then you're on. Like so, that's the kind of freedom. Uh, that's how I see it as freedom for me. So, um, thank you very much for listening. Thanks. Thank you.
4: Thank
1: you, Dominic. Let's thank both of our speakers for sharing their experience, strength, and hope. Now I'd like to introduce Katie, our entertainment chair.
4: Bob, I'm a compulsive reader. Uh, katie, Katie's katie been called away, uh, so I'm going to introduce the first uh, act. I'd like to uh, welcome Linda, who's going to perform Reverie by Edwin McLean. Let's hear it for Linda.